Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture, and thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We appreciate it. Here's what we're going to be talking about, weather patterns. When is May going to feel like May? We're going to talk with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub, about weather trends and patterns. We're going to talk trade with our former chief ag negotiator at the U.S. Trade Representative's Office. Former Ambassador Greg Dowd will join us. We want to get his thoughts on some of the issues with USMCA. We have a GMO dispute with Mexico, ongoing dairy issues with Canada, and what's uh, the relationship between the U.S. and China. China's buying a lot from us right now, ag products, but what about the overall situation moving forward? We'll get uh, former Ambassador Dowd's thoughts on that. And we'll talk infrastructure with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. So lots uh, to go over today. But we'll start it off with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Uh, what's the gas situation there in the Washington, D.C. area? Are you there, Jerry? Can you hear me? Yes, I am. Okay. I was asking, what's your gasoline situation there in the D.C. area? Well, I, you know, I, I see uh, pictures on television. I haven't actually tried to buy gas myself, uh, but the pictures are of other places. Uh, although they say it's a problem in Virginia, I, I don't know what it's like uh, here in the district yet. Okay. So we'll keep an eye on that situation, which kind of ties into what I was going to lead off with anyway. This was to be the week that the administration was going to sell its uh, its spending programs, infrastructure programs, and tax proposals. But it's, the news is being dominated by the the gas situation in uh, on the East Coast with the cyber attack on that pipeline, and also, of course, the uh, the situation in the Middle East. So what's happening with the uh, the tax and uh, the spending plans? What are you hearing there? Well, today um, the uh, president is going to meet with the congressional leaders of both parties. Uh, so in a way, this is going forward. Uh, this is always the, the situation that a president faces is that a president can plan to do all kinds of things, but then events intervene. Uh, we've, I've seen it, you know, through the decades here, uh, and so that's the situation that, that Biden finds himself in. Uh, but he's had, he had a meeting yesterday with Senator Sinema from, uh, from Arizona, and uh, today, as I said, he has these meetings. We also have a whole bunch of hearings on Capitol Hill today, uh, Catherine Tai, the trade representative, is testifying. There are hearings in Senate Agriculture on conservation. In House, uh, there's another hearing on on uh, nutrition, uh, and also another one on research, education, and economics at USDA. So it is a very big week of activity. Okay, another area of concern on the tax front on the president's proposals. For agriculture, they're concerned about the future of Section 1031 exchanges, uh, which often are used in the transfer uh, of land. You sell some land, buy others, and you get in some of these states with some, you know, high land prices. Doesn't 
take long to hit a cap, which uh, evidently would be around the $500,000 mark. Uh, So this is another area of concern of agriculture. What are you hearing on that and how the administration is responding to that? Well, yesterday, uh, uh, 41 agriculture groups uh, wrote congressional leaders, and they said, be careful with these things that will affect agriculture, including the stepped-up bases and these uh, and these land exchanges. Now, what I'm hearing from tax experts is that what will be really important here is what happens in these negotiations with the House Ways and Means Committee, because that's where tax law is or tax proposals are written. They eventually go to the Senate, and of course they'd have to have the approval of the Treasury Department and the President to become law. Uh, but a lot of this will be in negotiations with the House Ways and Means Committee uh, when they finally get around to doing this. Because even some Democratic members of Congress are saying to the administration, we want assurances that agriculture is protected in all this. That's right. That's right. And the, and the administration has said that they will protect farmers on the issue of the, the stepped-up basis, the provision uh, that currently allows the revaluation of land at the time of death. Uh, and therefore saves people capital gains taxes. Uh, but the, the real question is whether that system of protecting farmers will be so complicated that it would cost farmers a lot of money with lawyers and accountants to make it work. So right. uh, it's, I would say it's all pending, um, but uh, we, do, we just have to see what happens. Obviously, people have got their concerns out there, so I think the lobbying groups are on top of it now. Yeah, and the other area of concern is, do you get protected on one, so you get protected on stepped-up basis, but you get hurt on the land exchanges? I mean, so there's a lot we're still waiting for on the details and how comprehensive the protections would be. Well, that's right. Uh, But at the same time, I keep pointing out the farm leaders all want uh, the infrastructure bill. They want improved uh, roads, bridges, ports, and they want broadband in rural America and it has to be paid for some way. So we'll just have to see how, uh, how, this is, how this is worked out. Okay, but Republicans have offered a more targeted infrastructure package with a smaller price tag to go after some of those key areas that agriculture has wanted. What's the future of that? Is, is that, Bill, any chance of passing? Uh, I doubt that it would pass in the exact form that the Republicans are talking about. Uh, but President Biden has said he is open to uh, negotiation on the infrastructure package, so it may well be smaller than what he has originally proposed. They still think they can get this done by summer? Possibly. Now, Senator Carper, from the, uh, uh, who is in charge of these transportation things, has said that he wants, the, he wants a markup on a transportation bill by uh, Labor Day, or excuse me, by Memorial Day, uh, when of course Congress will leave for one of its uh, one of its breaks, um, and so we'll have to. See, I would say we'll have to see what happens in the next two weeks. We should get an idea of whether they can make that piece of progress, which would be a very important start to these negotiations. And as you said, other events often unforeseen come in and and take up time so we'll see how how that plays into this as well as meeting that kind of a timetable yes yes uh, that's uh, that is always the uh the question of course there isn't much that congress can do about this uh problem with the pipeline 
but the inter- the administration is saying that, and I guess the pipeline company itself are saying that they hope that this is resolved by the uh, end of the week, the beginning of next week, um, and that actually there is gasoline, but part of the problem is delivery of it because there are such lo- long lines at some of these pumps. Um, so we'll we'll see how that all looks next right. week, whether it's still dominant or or has been resolved. And peop- there are people calling for more protection from these kind of cyber attacks uh, on our infrastructure, in this case, pipelines. So we'll see what happens there. Jared, good to talk with you. Thank you. You're welcome. Talk to you again soon. You bet. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. We're talking weather patterns and trends next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, talking with Jim Mulhern, President and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. Jim, I mentioned there's a difference of opinion or approach within the dairy industry. And as you know, the Dairy Business Association, Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, the Minnesota Milk Producers Association, and the Nebraska State Dairy Association announced their proposal. They're calling it Class 3 Plus. Uh, What are your thoughts, your reaction to their approach? And that's what a federal order hearing process is all about. So we will make our proposal. It'll go into USDA. If USDA decides to move forward, and we'll be asking for a national federal order hearing that will look specifically at the Class 1 price mover. This is a rifle shot approach to deal with a specific issue that arose, became clearly a problem uh, from the pandemic last year. And USDA will decide if they want to take this issue to a hearing. In doing that, they will take testimony from other interested parties. Anybody can offer a proposal. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at dtnpf.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit dtnpf.com today. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. 
U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's look at weather trends and patterns with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. And Dennis, thanks for joining us. I saw someone post on uh, social media today, when will May feel like May? Uh, I guess that's a question many of us have with the weather we've seen this month already. Well, it really is interesting because, you know, if you if you look at where we are right now, we are a little bit colder than average. I was just looking at temperatures over the last 30 days running four, six degrees below average, depending on where you are across the Corn Belt. But you compare that particularly with where we are um, before, like, like early April and back to March, we were actually running above average. So it kind of had this flat period where we were, we were warmer and now we've become colder. Uh, and, and that's really kind of been caused by... Uh, a, uh, our jet stream. Our jet stream has been, you know, we, we've talked previously sometimes about how the jet stream has been more north-south with these big, these big bubbles uh, going back and forth. And actually, the the jet over the last oh, 30 days or so has been relatively what we call zonal, moving pretty much west to east across the country, and it's been running kind of sitting right over the Corn Belt, so that most of the rainfall has been southern part of the Corn Belt and south because the jet stream pattern has been hanging across there. North of that, um, and the jet stream, you know, for people who may not know, the jet stream kind of marks our boundaries between warmer and colder areas. So north of the jet has been colder. It's also been drier because most of that rainfall has been kept near the jet and south, so that area has been relatively wet and in pretty good shape. North has been cooler and drier. And that's, that's kind of an odd combination. We don't see too much cooler and drier over this time of year. So what do you see is shaping up for the rest of this month? Uh, do we start this uh, warm-up finally? Uh, we finally are. It really looks like we're, we're, we're headed that direction. The outlooks at 6 to 10 day, 8 to 14 day, and even the week 3, 4, all lean towards the warm side finally. So that we are going to get some warmer temperatures more likely. Uh, we this, this situation does look to continue where we're going to get going to keep getting some rainfall more so eastern Corn Belt areas, it looks like. Southern and eastern Corn Belt areas are going to be the beneficiaries of, of more of the rainfall, uh, whereas the, the northern plains may get some, but the chances aren't quite as good for them out in that area. Uh, in fact, I was looking just over the next seven days, we have uh, potentially for some heavier rainfalls kind of from eastern Kansas over to Indiana, and, and that might not be a good thing anymore because we are starting to get wet enough in places that could be a problem, though there are you know, a number of the still parts of that area a little bit further north, you know, kind of that I-80 and north area, still can use some rainfall at this point because they've been running uh, quite dry. We've got some places in Iowa and up in the northwest of there that have had you know an inch or less over the last month. Yeah, we still have the dry areas, although some of them have had some uh, relief here recently. Not enough, but some. But as you said, other areas, um, not wanting to discourage rain by any means, but uh, for now, they would just like some warmer temperatures rather than uh, more rain right right now. 
Uh, most definitely. You know, we haven't had to say that too much this year compared to some previous springs where we've been, okay, we're done with the rain, stop already. Uh, you know, really we haven't had too much of that. We we are getting close in a few places where it, it could, as you mentioned, could be a bit of a problem. You know, we got parts of eastern Iowa, maybe down in Missouri, and, and some other some other parts of the eastern, southern part of the eastern Corn Belt that are uh, may not want too much more rainfall. But you get north of there, you know, Michigan, parts of southern Wisconsin, uh, northern Iowa, southern Minnesota are, are on, you know, the drought, U.S. drought monitor map. We've got some D1 in those areas. Not a major problem right now, but could use a little bit of rainfall. Um, you know, the, the areas we, we obviously are most concerned about and really want to try to get some help for is up in the Dakotas where we've got widespread uh, D3 in those areas. Unfortunately, we don't look like we're going to be giving them too much help uh, the way it looks in the next couple of weeks or so. I was going to say, has that drought monitor map changed one way or, or another very much in the last couple of weeks? Uh, the, the, uh, we've seen some increases in um, D1, D1 moderate drought areas um, over, over a lot of Michigan. Uh, parts of Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, I mentioned some of those dry areas, the things that dried out enough that it, it, it was a problem. Um, there had been some, some, uh, some expansion of the D1, and D1 is not considered technically drought, or excuse me, expansion D0. It's not technically drought, but it means abnormally dry. We've seen an expansion of that over a large part of the, of the um, eastern Corn Belt. We're probably going to see some removal of some of that with this next map because of the rainfalls we had last weekend. Those will be incorporated in the map that comes out tomorrow. So we'll probably see some clearing of those areas. Up in the northern plains, uh, you know, the areas up there, um, you know, some tinkering around with a little bit of areas, but no real appreciable changes up in that area because we haven't had too much. And oddly enough, the cool temperatures have been somewhat of a benefit for, uh, you know, while they have a, a problem for other parts of ag, they, they have kept some of the drought conditions from worsening because, uh, you know, we still haven't had the, the hotter temperatures to, to lead to some of the problems. Talking with Dennis Toddy, director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. So what's the trends or what are the patterns shaping up as we move into June? Well, you know, I, the, we looked at May and, you know, kind of uh, we expected to see some improvement in May, and we have seen, and that's that's been a good thing, uh, where we've seen some rainfalls finally and starting to help some of that. We will continue to get some of that help. Um, right now, the way we're looking at June, we're not seeing anything. Well, the new outlooks for, for June will come out next week, so we'll get a better handle on, on what we're think, seeing in June uh, next week. But uh, I think we're going to see, right now, we expect to see a bit more of the same, where the eastern Corn Belt has some better chances for, pre- for precipitation. Plains area, um, and especially, you know, a good part of the plains and then and out of the Pacific Northwest has lesser chances for precipitation. So that's why we have some concern. And that, that, that same kind of pattern sticks with us into the summertime. So that's why, you know, the recent rainfalls have been good. We're not convinced that they were out of the woods yet in parts of the Corn Belt. Um, and then that northern area, the northern plains area, we're, we're getting really late to make big inroads on that at this point. So we hope we can we can get a little improvement 
but it seems likely that that's going to stick that 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 you know the northern plains drought area is going to stick with us uh, fairly well also the outlooks for for temperature are also lean warmer than average so that combination we should catch up on degree days you know some of the, the, the we've slowed down in development uh, but that additional uh, uh, chance for heat, if you combine with dryness, does lead to some potential for increased dryness. So I'm not calling for, for major problems, but we still have some concern about drought issues ongoing as the summer goes along. But until then, we're just worried about kind of getting this crop up and going. Uh, you mentioned degree days. Uh, we seem to be lacking there. And the, these nighttime lows really still dropping down pretty low uh, so it, it's been a challenge for the, this crop early on. You know, really, it really is, is a problem for our row crop folks. I don't, I haven't heard major issues yet, but yeah, I, I've seen a few things uh, about people that planted really early and things that sat in the ground for too long. So we have concerns there. Heard from a lot of different places some problems with, you know, fruit trees, specialty crops, those kinds of things have taken a bit more of a beating because they have. Uh, you know, they have started to grow more actively and are, we're in situations where these several events where we went below freezing, ding them. I don't know how, how serious a problem it is, but we have had some widespread problems with those. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's the thing to remind people on a row crop side is we're still early enough. It doesn't look like the cool is going to persist for the summer. And still, the relatively dry soils will warm up pretty quickly once we get some heat. So I'm not overall concerned from a development standpoint. I think we're still going to be okay there. Yep, still have time, just kind of a slower start than we'd like to see or used to seeing here as we approach mid-May. Always good to talk with you, Dennis. Thank you very much. Happy to do it. You guys take care. Okay, appreciate it. Dennis Toddy, Director of the USDA Midwest Climate Hub. All right, up next, we're going to talk trade. We have some trade issues uh, within USMCA uh, with Mexico and Canada, ongoing dairy issues with Canada, and some GMO issues and some other things with Mexico. And, of course, the whole situation with China. They continue to buy, and that's uh, very helpful to our markets. But what are some of the issues to be watching for there? We're going to talk with someone very familiar with these trade issues and someone who has uh, worked on the trade deals that we have, both the Phase 1 trade deal with China and USMCA. He was right there at the negotiating table. Former U.S. Trade Representative, Chief Ag Negotiator, Greg Dowd. Former Ambassador Greg Dowd will join us. His thoughts on how these trade deals are working and uh, how... We are in, we have mechanisms in place, hopefully, to deal with the disputes that are coming up. His thoughts and all that next, right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. It's been our legacy year after year, and we're proud of our heritage. At FS, our focus has been on improving growers' profitability by developing leading products and services to advance operations. Year after year, we've been committed to pointing the way forward. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Step right up and Give us clean, fresh water and provide wildlife habitat. 
the test for nature's critters. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the greatest soil on Learn more about soil health principles that can turn your soil into a star performer. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen with this market update. Well, all eyes are on the USDA May WASDE report due out at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central Time. It'll be the first WASDE report containing 21-22 new crop balance sheets. As such, it will have a plethora of information that could surprise the market. But there are a few key numbers that folks are watching the most, of which USDA, could they lower Brazil corn production? That's one of the big ones they're watching. That would have major implications for U.S. corn exports in the new marketing year, as well as global wheat feeding. And also, what will USDA do with Chinese soybean demand for the coming year amid the resurgence of African swine fever in China? USDA's Ford Ang Service reported another new corn sale early on Wednesday, this time to Mexico. A total of 100,000 metric tons of corn sold to Mexico with 30,000 for old crop and 70,000 for the new crop year. Corn and the soy complex are very firm ahead of the WASDE report on expectations of further tightening of the balance sheets. Again, Brazil's ag statistics agency CONAB cut Brazil's corn crop to 106.4 million metric tons versus 109 million metric tons in previous estimates. And we've seen private estimates go even lower than that. Taking a look at some of our numbers right now in the grain trade, July corn up three and a quarter, 725 and a half. December corn down four, 607 and a quarter. July soybeans up 30 and three quarters, 1645 and a half. November up 14 and a half at 1446. July bean meal up 370 a ton at 4570. July bean oil up 161 points, 6641. July Chicago wheat down one and a quarter, 740 and a half. July KC wheat down two and three quarters, 707 and three quarters. July Minneapolis wheat five higher, 775 and a half. June live cattle up 47, 119.10. Feeder cattle from May down 12, 135.20. June lean hogs up 130, 112.47. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, most of our attention seems has been on domestic issues. Uh, commodity prices have been strong. We've had good sales with China, so we haven't talked a whole lot about trade. But we have some trade issues that uh, we need to keep a close watch on. 
and want to get some perspective on those from someone who uh, certainly can give us great perspective because he's been at the negotiating table working on USMCA, working on phase one with uh, China, and that is former ambassador, our U.S. Uh, chief ag negotiator uh, for the U.S. Trade Representative's office, uh, just recently wrapped up that job, Greg Dowd. He's now with uh, Aimpoint Research. Greg, good to talk with you again. How are you? Mike, I'm just fine. Good to talk to you. How are you? Very good. Um, first of all, your thoughts on, on how things are going with China. They're, they're continuing to buy. Um, a lot of speculation about what the uh, relationship will be between the Biden administration and China and, and policy moving forward. But uh, from your perspective, having negotiated the deal, uh, how do you look at it now and how it's going? Okay, so a couple basic points to start the discussion. Uh, we negotiated in the phase one agreement, there are some 57 structural changes that we asked China to make that are, that are in the deal. Everybody should know that at this point, uh, from my perspective, 52, 53, 54 of those plus or minus are done, complete, China has done them. And so in large part, uh, almost you know, 100% compliance what we're talking about is we have some issues on ritopamine biotechnology and then two wto cases but i think in, in in large part they're doing those things as well so i think in terms of compliance with the deal it's very good what that means for us in agriculture is that mike before we started the negotiation with china we had about 1500 facilities in the u.s eligible to export ag products to china 1500 today as a result of all the changes that we've made as as part of phase one, we have way over 4,000 facilities in the U.S. eligible to export products to China. I'm talking about dairy facilities, hay facilities, meat processing facilities. You know, it, it has been a huge change in terms of what we've seen. So we're, you know, the, last year we saw a record ag exports to China, and that's amazing to me considering it really was only nine months of the year that we got this thing going and we see what we have on the books now on the grain side we see what we're doing on the meat side which is in terms of beef it's way beyond what i ever thought it would be i thought we would do a thousand tons a week we're doing three thousand tons a week of beef to china how much of it is because of the trade deal or how much of it just because they need uh, those commodities right now uh, the answer is both um we would have never gotten to these 4,000 facilities without this agreement. I mean, we had, there are so many changes. We, it was 33 negotiating sessions, hundreds of hours that we spent helping try to figure out how to get our regulatory system matched up better with their regulatory system to, to talk to each other and get these things done. And, and both my counterpart, the, the vice minister of ag, and I, we all realized how historic this conversation was. And I think it's bearing fruit. And I think, you know, the geopolitics of the relationship between the U.S. and China is really complicated. We all know that. But at least we have an egg. We, we have now an ability to talk to each other, trade with each other. This is important to China. This is really important to us. Do you think there'll be a phase two? And if so, what would that include? It's a great question that I get a lot. And, and the answer is not in the foreseeable future. I don't, I don't think the, my opinion is, for what it's worth, is the Biden administration, I don't think, is going to do anything with regard to ch the China situation. I think it's good right where it is. We leave it where it is. But in terms of phase two, like, that involves things like getting China to stop their state trading enterprises, their state subsidies, and the way they do things. And these are bedrock principles of the Communist Party in China. They're not going to change those things. 
<laughs> so yeah, the idea of, of, of getting that changed in a phase two, I, I, I just it's not in the cards in the foreseeable future, in my opinion. We're talking with former U.S. Chief Ag Negotiator Greg Dowd. Greg, when we often talk about how agriculture is just part of the picture, and there's so many other issues in trade deals and trade negotiations that take place. And it seems like sometimes agriculture gets impacted by other things. Uh, When you're at that negotiating table, how much does that impact or influence what gets done from an ag standpoint when you're negotiating trade deals? How much do those other outside factors figure in and put pressure on the ag portion of a deal? It's a great question, and it's a complicated question. So, so the answer is, when you're in the room negotiating the deal, are there trade-offs between, say, industrial products and ag products? Typically, no. Typically, ag is done within the lane and the context of ag when you're negotiating the agreement. However, my answer to that question would be, so often we have other things that get us wrapped around the axle outside of agriculture that we don't actually have an ability to get to the table and have a deal. So the point is, there are certainly other things other than agriculture that prevent us from getting to the point where we can sit down and talk about ag issues. So, but once we get sat down at the table, usually we, we, you know, you're confined to talking about ag and you don't horse trade back and forth with other things, generally speaking. Does that, am I making sense in what I'm saying? Yeah, I think in agriculture, we get kind of a a very narrow focus. We want just to look at agriculture and sometimes wish it could all be kind of in a vacuum and not be impacted by the other things. But as you point out, it can't be totally in a vacuum, right? Well, the vacuum is that there are a lot of deals that I would have liked to have done in ag, but because of other issues, you can't actually get to the table with the other countries. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Yeah. All right, so... um, our new U.S. Trade Representative, Catherine Tai, is soon going to be talking with leaders from uh, Canada and Mexico at, about USMCA. Uh, we know there are ongoing dairy issues with Canada. We have now some uh, GMO issues with Mexico. Uh, what are your thoughts on these early tests for USMCA? Well, it's, it, you're exactly right. That is exactly where we are here. You know, you, negotiate the agreement. I think it's really solid in terms of what we did with Canada and dairy. Unprecedented in terms of, as as, uh, Colin Peterson once said, this first time anybody's ever got a chink in the armor up there in that Canadian dairy industry. Mm -hmm. And I think that's right. And it was really, really hard to do. And we're going to have to hold their feet to the fire. And and there's no question in my mind, they're going to try to wiggle out and wiggle around and we're going to have to, you know, make sure that they don't do that. And so this will be an interesting conversation. I think the USTR folks are very well aware and adept at, at dealing with that. But, you know, you, you have to start with the initial conversation. I think it's going to take time to work all through that on, on Canada and dairy, but we have got to keep a very close eye on those guys up there. That's, a, that's an interesting industry up in Canada. In terms of Mexico and biotech, the, the point is that we are now approaching the halfway mark of AMLO's Lopez Obrador, the president of Mexico's six-year term. And he's got a lot of activism down there in terms of anti-glyphosate, anti-use of technology in agriculture, anti-biotech corn. But they import 16 million tons of corn from the United States. There's absolutely no way that they can replace that. And they know that. And and so you, you get uh, 
talking out of both sides of your mouth down there in Mexico, depending on who you talk to. And, and, and I think that's the struggle everybody's having is we understand that they can't, you know, do something crazy, but that doesn't mean that some people aren't going to try and they're not going to really talk about it. And, and so I, I'm really unnerved by Mexico. I, I'll be honest with you, Mike. I, I, it, I don't like what's going on down there with regard to how they're discussing the use of technology in agriculture. Uh, we, we've got to keep a close eye on this because towards the, you know, they, a lot of these things don't go into effect until the end of his term, but that doesn't mean they couldn't stir up a lot of trouble in the meantime. Hmm, something to watch for sure then. Uh, and yesterday we talked with the National Pork Producers Council, uh, frustrated about the situation in Vietnam, high tariffs that we have to pay to sell pork into there. Other countries don't have those high tariffs. Uh, What's that like trying to negotiate, maybe get something done into that market? What do you see there? Do you remember having talks uh, with the Vietnamese officials on that issue? I, uh, not on that issue. I did uh, make a trip there and, and made some real progress with them on issues such as biotech and, and other things once upon a time. The, uh, I think the challenge right now in Vietnam is they've got African swine fever. And, and I think it's a situation where they're trying to, you know, hold on to their domestic industry that is probably in really dire straits right now, given what's going on. So it's it's got to be a tenuous situation over there in the pork industry in Vietnam, which is which is really kind of a bedrock thing as part of their agriculture. It's a big industry. It's important to them in terms of food security and domestically. And, and so I, 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 you know, I my sense is that they're going to be, you know hard to deal with here for a little bit as, as they go through this crisis that they have. And it's a mess. Mm-hmm. And, and you see it, you know, in, in China as well, as you're going to see hot spots over there. You know, uh, ASF is not one of these things that you have for a while and it just disappears. It's going to be a problem for a long time. And we have got to fight like everything we have to keep it out of the United States. That's the mm-hmm. truth as well. Greg, good to talk with you as always. Uh, Appreciate the chance to catch up a little bit, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Thank you. Take care. Take care. We'll see you. All right. Greg Dowd, now with Aimpoint Research, uh, former ambassador, our U.S. chief ag negotiator. He was in on the negotiating for USMCA and with Phase 1 with China. Interesting his thoughts and concerns about the direction on uh, some of these biotech issues that they're taking in in Mexico. We'll be watching that. All right, some infrastructure issues to talk about next with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. That's up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, 
the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. So the president's tax proposals have some in agriculture concerned. We're going to talk about that uh, today with Pat Wolf with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Well, there's certainly a great deal of concern about this in farm country. And we've had a record number of farmers and ranchers call their members of Congress saying how concerned they are about a new capital gains tax. At death. Any tax imposed at death is problematic. It's because farmers and ranchers don't have cash in the bank to pay the tax they have to sell. Now, the American Families Plan that was put out last week has three increases in capital gains taxes in it. Yes, we can't say for sure that this is a good deal for farmers and ranchers, and we're very worried that the rules that would come along with the targeted program might not work for a lot of people. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. 
Did you know that biodiesel reduces carbon emissions by 74% on average? It's the best option available today for states and cities across America looking to immediately cut carbon emissions. It's an important contribution from America's farmers to meeting the nation's carbon reduction goals right now. That's why we say biodiesel is better, cleaner, now. Learn more by visiting bettercleanernow.com, brought to you by the National Biodiesel Board in partnership with soybean farmers and their checkoff program. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The Soy Transportation Coalition has signed an agreement with the St. Lawrence Seaway Management Corporation to encourage greater utilization of the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Seaway to access international markets. Joining us now to tell us about it is Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thanks for joining us. Tell us about this agreement and the significance of it. Well, we, we're signing an agreement with the St. Lawrence Seaway Management Corporation, and as you, as you mentioned, it's really an effort to encourage the greater utilization of the Great Lakes and St. Lawrence Seaway for those exporters who who really find it attractive. Um, you know, the, 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 the Great Lakes and St. Lawrence Seaway, it, it's not a significant launching point for soybean exports. You know, less than 2% of our exports leave from that system. You know, so it, it clearly pales in comparison to areas like the Mississippi Gulf and the Pacific Northwest. But the, the, the point we're really trying to underscore is the cardinal rule in supply chain is don't put all of your eggs in one basket. And the more baskets you can spread all of your eggs in, the more uh, you know, launching points that you have access to, that tends to benefit shippers, that tends to benefit exporters. And you know, in the current climate where we've got a global supply chain that's really you know, choking on itself right now, quite frankly, it really seems to be an opportune time to promote every opportunity that U.S. soybean farmers and, and grain farmers can have to tap into these export markets. So that's really the, the, the impetus behind this agreement. And for those who want to take advantage of it, it will result in a 50% reduction in tolls that are, that are assigned when you use the St. Lawrence Seaway Great Lakes system. Um, there's a toll structure that's, that's paid. This agreement would result in a 50% reduction uh, for that. So, so I think it's, it's certainly a worthwhile effort, and we're, we're looking forward to promoting it. Why isn't that system used more than it is? Well, you know, there's a number of things. You know, number one, um, you know, you've got it is closed uh, from uh, usually about December to March every year, um, and and you know, one of the the challenges is that you know you can load, say, grain or soybeans in one of these you know what are called lakers, uh, these these vessels that go that transit the the Great Lakes and St. Lawrence Seaway, and then sometimes those those vessels they can just simply go proceed onto a, a, an international market, say Europe. Um, but sometimes it does require to unload out of that Laker vessel and then be trans, 
transferred into an, a larger ocean vessel to make the, the cross-ocean journey. So sometimes, you know, there can be some inefficiencies to it. And so it's, uh, it, you know, again, it clearly, you know, you can see why the Mississippi Gulf is a real attractive option because you've got mm -hmm. all these inland waterways, you've got barge transportation feeds into that area. Um, so there are a number of, of obstacles uh, for it. But again, um, there are there soybeans and U.S. grain is exported via the, the Great Lakes St. Lawrence Seaway. There are those who would like to do more uh, or who would like to explore it further. And this could be a real opportunity for them to do that. We're talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Any uh, progress on that backlog out on the West Coast, those ports out there? Yeah, we're, we're seeing it, it is quite slow. Um, but you know what? What really the forecast is, and this isn't this isn't great news. But um, we're going we're forecasting, and you know m many others are forecasting that there'll be a, a congested supply chain. That you know the one of the most prominent areas is the the west coast of the United States, most notably the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, really continuing throughout 2021 because we're not too close to all of a sudden seeing the the uh, the surge the normal surge in in holiday uh, shipments because people start wanting to build their inventory in well in advance of the Christmas season that that tends to even happen in the summertime so you know that's something that we're going to be seeing uh, I think with us for the for the foreseeable future so again um, it's really an opportune time to try to make sure that we're diversifying our supply chain as much as possible because as you've described for us before a big part of that backlog is the 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 amount of products coming in to the U.S. through those ports really causing that uh, that situation that has been going on for some time now. Yeah, I mean, this real dramatic shift of, of spending from services into goods, and so that has resulted in a dramatic increase in manufacturing, specifically in China, and that's then therefore put an unexpected surge in demand on transportation at every link in the supply chain from container availability to ocean vessel capacity to port uh, throughput to rail to trucking, you're really seeing this really constricted supply chain manifest itself in a lot of different areas in each link of that supply chain. And we're also, frankly, seeing it in the, the price on the grocery shelf and in the, the department store shelf as well. It, it's having some inflationary pressure. So, you know, it's obviously something that uh, is, is, is very notable, and it's going to unfortunately be with us throughout this year. And I know you're watching closely the infrastructure proposals uh, making their way or at least being debated in Congress. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we continue to hope. I mean, we're, we appreciate that we have, there's a lot of attention on infrastructure. Um, we sincerely hope that something that's very focused on, you know, traditional, what most Americans would regard as infrastructure, uh, roads, bridges, ports, rail, inland waterways, you know, even like things like broadband and, and water treatment and the electricity grid, there's, the Americans will rally around that. Uh, there's a real opportunity for a bipartisan win for both Republicans and Democrats, and we hope they embrace that. We hope they do something that's very focused on, on what we would regard as traditional infrastructure. Yep, we'll be watching closely. Always good to talk with you, Mike. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mike. That's Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. With that, we'll wrap it up for today. Just a note that tomorrow we'll have a lot of analysis of the 
May WASDE report. And we'll get uh, different thoughts on that. What are the key takeaways from it? And what does it mean for markets moving forward? So that'll be coming up on tomorrow's program. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Have a good day, everyone. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.